Next on C-SPAN, the daily White House press briefing with Press Secretary Sean Spicer. Hello, everyone. We've got a lot to cover today, so I'm just going to get straight to it. I'd like to start with a memo I have here that comes directly from the president himself. Traitor Jeb, does your cowardice know no bounds? Your Marxist antifada of terror strikes fear into the heart of good, hardworking American people. No matter how many banks you rob, no matter how many Molotov cocktails you throw, no matter how many kulaks you put to death, you will always be a loser. Jeb Bush, the sore loser, with an ugly wife no one else wants. Have you seen her? I mean, look at my wife. Now that's a wife. I have known many bad men, but you are the most bad. You are the FBI's number one most wanted for a reason. Think about it. Okay. It's because you are bad. If you want a war with the United States government, you got one bucko. Just because your gang of homo vegans took Fort Bragg doesn't mean we lost the Pentagon. We make all kinds of great weapons there. I had two guns made of gold specifically for me, and I'm going to shoot you with them at the same time while doing a barrel roll off of a moving truck. Your mother likes you less than your brother, and he is the worst painter I have ever seen. And then at the bottom, there is there's a very lewd picture. You know what? Actually, that's it. No questions today. Thank you. Just Anders Lee here with Alex Alex Patak. You know what it oh is. Oh boy. We are joined today by one of Left Jest's many foreign correspondents. Good friend of mine, Sid Gurung. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It is storming out there. And uh, this is actually this was intentional. I looked at the weather ahead of time and uh, these guys slogged out to get here through the snow. We had someone cancel, but we're still here. Because, and I wanted it to be this way, because we are going to be discussing the foreign policy regime of Donald J. Trump. Which will be like a storm. Yeah, it'll be stormy, it'll be unpredictable, and we will feel isolated and cold during uh, most of it, I presume. That's what a metaphor is, and that's what we're delivering on the track today. Blizzard of snowflakes, if you will. (laughs) That's right. Just like New York City. That's man. We are really in a uh, a bubble, right? And it's like we're it's in a, a bubble. It's a shipping container. It's a this is yeah. This is extra bubble right here. We're in a shipping container. We're also it, New York. It's a bubble from the country, but it's also kind of a bubble from the rest of the world. And um, what? You, in what way? Well, I mean, we. I th- well, I think I'm talking about America in general. I guess. Ah. Uh, uh, okay. In that we, I don't know. I have very little frame of reference because I've never really left the country other than go to Canada. Oh um, yeah, but Canada's different. They have more mountains. A bit, but culturally, I think uh, it's not all that dissimilar. They call French fries poutine. That when they put gravy on them. But that's like, I mean, that's very different from. Right. That is side. a weird. You, you won't catch that down Bama. 
sure, down sure, sure. Bama way. But generally, uh, I I can't comprehend what it's like to look at America from the outside in. It's like watching oh. a raging bull. But uh, people, I understandably, are upset about the United States, right? And um, I was thinking about how, you know, 10 years ago, a lot of people in this country were like, God, I f- Bush, fucking hate him. Jeez, I really yeah. don't. We don't like him. We don't like Bush at all. That's He's how he talked back then, too. Yeah, yeah, we talked this way. And then people were like, okay, great, cool. Can you, like, stop him from, like, bombing? Mm-hmm. Can you, like, maybe go out and demonstrate? Oh, oh yeah. well, actually... That doesn't... I would. I want to. <laughs> he doesn't like that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He doesn't like it, and it doesn't... Protests don't, quote, air quotes, work. No. So we're not going to do that. Um, and now it's kind of like we, we're we out of excuses. It's cool Because to it's starting now. to fuck up our own country now. Yeah. You know, it's not that Bush sick. was great for domestic. Uh, I'm not sure if we've talked about this before, but... Right before we invaded Iraq, wasn't it like the biggest protest in U.S. history for a long time? Yeah, the anti-war protest during the, that time period after 9-11 was right. one of the biggest that actually happened. And then that worked, right? <laughs> that was, we did it? <laughs> well, yeah. I guess my point is that petered out uh, kind of quickly, right? Yeah. little Peter right, it, had, it had ebbs and flows, and most of the, uh, the spikes in um, protest activity, I feel like, over the aughts uh, kind of coincided with the excuse for 15-year-olds such as myself to get out of class for mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it does I didn't even get seem... that, man. What's that? You didn't, I you didn't, didn't do I, the walkout? I, felt I didn't hear about any of these big protests until like a decade after. And I remember talking to people in the seventh grade and them being very unconvinced about peace as an option. Just like little... Sh- like shitty Catholic kids who are like, um, when the homeland is at risk, it is time to march or whatever. And this is in true blue Massachusetts, so that's true. Uh, but lo- terrible people. Looking forward, um, there are a lot of question marks on the horizon. We don't really know where this is going, so I think a lot of this discussion is going to be speculation. Um, but as somebody who follows this stuff pretty closely, said, do you think that the Muslim ban, uh, eventually the pressure from people, some people, in the, a lot of people in the United States now, but also uh, countries that we have to work with to do, to achieve foreign policy objectives or um, in, involve ourselves in counterterrorism internationally. Is that going to come to a point where uh, the U.S. can't really continue this, uh, this ban? Well, uh, we have to look at everything in context. Also, when you say foreign policy, is that solely on the, uh, with regards to war, for example? You know, NAFTA was something that got passed right. way before, uh, you know, George W. Bush during Clinton's era, and that had, like, great repercussions with regards to immigration. Yeah. We had uh, different changes with regards to how we allow people from South America and, uh, you know, Central America into America. We had criminalization of different people. We had transformation of how they were allowed into the labor force. Similarly, you know, under Clinton was when, you know, many of the anti-Muslim immigration policies were started. And that was not when we were at war. Uh, That was when we started saying stuff like there is terrorism, there's Muslim-based terrorism, all these things. Um, He he had a big, uh, he had one of the first big speeches about illegal immigration, right? Yeah. Yeah, but with that uh, beautiful southern twang we all love. So, I mean, all of of these things are, you know, decades in the making. 
Um, so what we see now, we shouldn't be surprised if it goes through or it continues, um, is, is my statement. I, I don't think thinking about the uh, Donald Trump's Muslim ban just solely as Donald Trump being egotistic and scary or rather crazy is necessarily a productive way of looking at it. Left just prediction stamp. I think this is going to be our big episode for like predictions. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we start calling stuff. This is like we, when we move Mon- the money around. When Montel had that woman on that psychic woman with the scratchy voice. <laughs> she she told I remember her saying Michael Jackson was going to jail and she was wrong about that. So Anyway, we'll have You have so much memory of the 90s for someone already. I think this, <laughs> I don't incredible. know if this was back in the 90s. Anyway. Uh, oh, wait, wait, before we move on, uh, Sid, do you want to talk a little bit about your background, why you know so much about this kind of stuff? Or? Um, not necessarily, but uh, I am not American citizen. Okay. Uh, let's, let's put that forward. Uh, uh, I came here in September 10th, 2001. Oh, right. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, no, it was, it was great. It was truly my childhood dream of seeing American action movies come to, come to <laughs> Yeah. Life. Unfortunately, that didn't go through, but um, that, that I guess, is my background for mm-hmm. the time being. Explosions from day, day one. one yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, was that in New York? Yeah. I was you moved there. to New York? To New York. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, and then, obviously, that is... Um, a time when I think a lot of you could say there is a continuum that Donald Trump falls on that that time was very relevant to. Um, but I I guess I think that, you know, people like uh, the Mike Pence's of the world, even um, the Obama's would uh, do a lot of things in within this continuum and with this uh, anti-Muslim kind of um, sentiment that's been uh, developed over the decades but I, I don't know that they would be as clumsy with it, with the optics of it. Do of you know what I mean? I mean, clumsiness doesn't doesn't uh, make somebody better. Or it right. being, uh, would you rather have a... I'm sick of that uh, that uh, mistake people make. You know, clumsiness makes you better, man. Or rather, would, it you, doesn't. would you like him to be more efficient? No. Right? Uh, less clumsy, if you will, in his, in his actions. Um, one thing that I could talk, we could talk about is uh, the recent, the first military action that Trump did. Yeah. Um, Speaking of clumsiness, uh, which was very clumsily handled, which was uh, a debacle, a uh, debacle as a whole. Um, as if handed handled by a child, right? You know, uh, which resulted in the death of a child. Um, but at the same time, Obama did very much the same set of things, except he handled it very cleverly. He was like an adult killing a child, right? And <laughs> the he, way we prefer you know, it. He blamed it on mismanagement of intelligence or a series of bad luck mm-hmm. or something. And we said, oh, well, you know, this is the cost of dealing with terrorists mm-hmm. uh, without talking about the fact that, you know, one of the first American citizens was drone bombed in foreign soil. And we, we didn't really talk about it. But now uh, Donald Trump has uh, killed a child. And well, Obama killed this is, this is all the same guy's kids, right? Yes. Oh, well, yeah. not the kids. But same set of family members. Same family members? Al-Wak- the Alwakis? Alwakis, right. boom. I don't want to go to a Christmas party at their place. I can <laughs> tell you that much. Very sensitively put. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch out. Um, yeah, or a wedding. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I do think um, we were just watching a clip of the debate, one of the Republican debates, Jeb Bush talking to Trump um Donald Trump says the thing that I don't think I've heard uh, really any politician say, no matter how far left 
they go or write is that he actually blamed Bush for fucking up on 9-11. My brother was building a security apparatus to keep us safe, and I'm proud of what he did. And he's had the gall to go the after World my The World Trade mother. Center came he's down had during the gall your brother's to go after reign. My Remember mother. that. Hold on. Let me finish this. He's had the gall to go after my mother. That's not keeping Look, us safe. Look, I won safe. the lottery when I was born 63 years ago. How did he keep us Trump. safe when the World Trade Center came down? What kind of, like, shock does that send to the foreign policy establishment? And is is it one that they should actually, uh, should be that warranted? Because that's kind of like, almost like an unspoken taboo, is that, like, sometimes these bureaucracies mess up and they actually do a worse job of keeping us safe by all of this, like, constant surveillance and, uh, you know, all this developing of security, um... Apparatuses. The nightmarish apparatus actually makes us less safe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and is that kind of... Um, that kind of stuff is always so funny because the, like, draconian measures you had to put in, like, the night, nightmare George Orwell type NSA shit, uh, in order for that to be worth the effort, everything would have to go perfectly. And then you could make an argument, uh, well, sure, we can read all of your thoughts, but... You know, at least nothing blew up. And it never does. So there's no one ever wins with this game plan. And it is like the go-to move for every government right now. Right. They all wish they had our uh, machines. Uh, one thing you, you, you mentioned was about, uh, what was it? The admittance of, of mistake. Uh-huh. Right, right, that, right. That right. governments do. Um under Obama's administration, he spent a lot of time uh, going, um, you know, to South America and Central America and apologizing for the acts that the U.S. government had committed. Uh, not not necessarily going up to, mm-hmm. you know, going up and say I'm sorry, but like visiting memorials and these diplomatic acts that have implications uh, as a whole uh, to say sorry for our foreign policy in certain ways mm-hmm. to men- make amends with these at that time of course uh, we had the BRIC countries the the rising economic powers uh, South American countries like uh, Chile and Brazil who were uh, economic powerhouse but then of course you know 2008 happened and all these things but the whole point was uh, there were amends to be made and they were admittance of, of mistakes uh, and somehow a statement that things will get better it's kind of the brooding bad boy crush approach to foreign policy where right. it's like I don't have to say that anything's wrong I'll just be at the ice cream social watching the corner I'll be where you want me to be don't make this about us <laughs> whatever you know just stay desirable he was the he was the coolest man he's just like a very like he had that special touch with these kind of uh uh, subtle operations of empire that you're just never going to get again I mean while while you're you know going full you know, pedal to the metal with all the things that are going on with your other relationship right, right, right. And, and the other side, right? That's why it's so impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's also why I think that analogy is even better because, you know, at the same time, he's fucking Stacy. And she she hasn't done anything to earn that. Her mom just died. I don't want to talk about it right now. Those UN ice cream socials get pretty rowdy. Mm-hmm. That's why they keep them in cold countries. In terms of uh, predictions... We're very early on into the Trump presidency, and he's already had uh, straight-up street-level beef with the Australian prime minister over the phone. 
Crikey. Yeah, crikey indeed. Uh, is, do you think this is a trend that's going to continue? Like, how long can you do that before? Sure, I mean, it will continue and it will, it will make things worse. But uh, additionally, it, we have to look at other things like uh, the South China Sea issue, uh, which is a very big deal and that could get very problematic. And if, if people don't know, this is uh, regarding <coughs> the chi- China's use of certain artificial islands they've made in the South China Sea. Between um, China and Japan. Uh, China, Japan, um, Vietnam, and several other countries. It's it's a very uh, problematic place. And now people have found, say, resources or access to trade routes. Mm-hmm. And if China claims these artificial islands as their sovereign territory, they can extend their uh, sovereign sea borders and whatnot that causes conflict with each other. This might come to a head within our lifetime or within Trump's presidency. It's a powder keg. Yeah, it is. The he- South China Sea is the 4chan of areas <laughs> with how problematic it is. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, additionally, you know, uh, Donald Trump making uh, an enemy or, or not having good relationship with the Australian prime minister could, you know. Oh, right. That's right over there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I always just assume they're in an open-air prison and, like, can't really get out, but they can. But they do have lots of open-air prisons for uh, refugees that have been trying to get into Australia that are they are very well known for. The Muslim ban that we speak about here in America, which is very problematic, while the rest of the world is pretty much putting, you know, refugees from the Middle East and different places into open-air prisons. So we aren't the only ones who are doing wrong, and I think we need to come to that realization uh, also right it's very easy to get caught up in just domestic uh domestic issues australia is always the um the power that sticks out to me when i think of the trump presidency because they've had a strong rightward turn for like a decade at least right yeah for for a good while now um I, i just feel like we're both going to be drunk at the same time soon and then it's all going up in flames well it, isn't there uh there i heard there was a friendly phone call between trump and the prime minister of japan right <laughs> and and that's that's another interesting thing right he is he is uh not necessarily a japanese trump but he is a right-wing nut job um so yeah. they should get along with uh what's the australian guy's name <laughs> we should just look it up because it's gonna sound bad if we never use it um Oh, man, I would pay anything to listen in on Trump talk to the <laughs> Japanese board prime minister. Talk to anyone who has importance in the federal government. I mean, anyone who whose job is now to, like, babysit this guy. Like, but how- in those East Asian countries, like, he's, like, the least racially sensitive person in politics. And he's getting on the phone with the Japanese prime mm-hmm. minister. <laughs> I can't imagine how that conversation and goes. The, and the <laughs> Philippines prime minister. Oh right, yeah, did so. are they getting along? Duterte? Uh, he you know drives around in a motorcycle shooting drug dealers, right? <laughs> so I wonder how how well they would get. Along. <laughs> uh, He's like a real life Steven Seagal, uh, who runs a country. Right, which is Steven Seagal's one downside. I feel like. I feel like as the, a macho man. I feel like they're just gonna start their own UN. In the, like when, if, when <laughs> the Le- bad boys of internations. <laughs> yeah. You get Le Pen in there, and then like Nigel Farage, and they just have like the, the disunited jackets. nations. <laughs> like we all believe in our own fucking soil. Like it's our blood. And then you also have Modi, which you know, oh yes, of course, who is another nut job. So you you have a powder keg all all over the place, and you're talking about foreign policy uh, or you know relationship foreign relationships with different countries with people like these uh, uh, 
Trump was really catering to Indian voters in America with how close he was to Modi before the election. I am a big fan of Hindu and I am a big fan of India. Big, big fan. Big, big fan. India has seen firsthand the brutality of terrorism and cross-border violence. We will defeat radical Islamic terrorism. The barbaric threat Hillary Clinton has unleashed onto the entire world. What's his angle there? Why is he, why is Trump trying to court, or why did he court the Hindu American vote? I mean, uh, New York City, for example, has a very large population of uh, uh, American citizens who are uh, originally from India or who are of Indian background. Um, uh, India is having internal crisis right now with regards to both religious strife and also national national problems with regards to the fact that their econo economy isn't doing very well. Mm -hmm. um, they have severe problems with different communities like the Sikh community, the Muslim community, different uh, regions are having separatist, uh, what do you call, uh, separatist movements that have led to violence. Uh, we don't talk about that much in America or the West. But or even know about it for yeah. most people. Um, there's the Maoist insurgency that has been going on for the past 60 years, uh, the Naxalites, that has, been, that has claimed you know, thousands and thousands of lives. Um, all of these have been happening in India, and it's, it, it hasn't gotten better. Um, uh, inequality has only gotten worse. Um, so in, under these circumstances, a person like Modi seems very uh, attractive. Uh, Hindu nationalist, specifically in that he believes in the strength and power and ability of India, which, you know, sure, great. Uh, but at the same time, he believes it's a, a Hindu nation for Hindu people. Um, well, he's a racial purity candidate. Uh, not necessarily Well, I mean, it, he's a Hindu, so he believes in a religious uh, importance. So, almost, you, so he's almost like an evangelical, what one that, yeah, because yeah. they will adopt different races and they will try to recruit different. Except, you know, Hindu beliefs have the belief of caste system. So untouchables are having severe problems right now. Entire villages are being massacred. You know, there is uh, mobs of people going around, uh, you know, lynching people for suspected use of beef, you know. Right, right, right. Um, and this How is the context because you can't eat beef, Anders. Well, yeah, but is there a way to prove that? No, you can prove it. <laughs> so you can prove do, it. So suspicion of beef eating. How do? What do they do to? Uh, it, 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 it's it like much like these kind of things. These aren't about proving a fact, right? So we're talking about Donald Trump, for example. Yeah. It's not about proving a fact, or it's not about proving um, uh, the right thing. It's about committing violence or committing or forcing certain things on certain groups of people and using an excuse for it. So the beef is, is an excuse to either evict somebody from a place or uh, destroy their businesses or, you know... Or attack them. Or attack them, yeah. I, mean, I, th I would argue you can tell when someone's eaten beef because having eaten beef myself, um, there's a certain calm that happens. That's not going to happen like when you get a full belly of like bread or something. It's different. It's different, and that's why it's separate. Did you eat beef earlier? Your biceps are... Uh... Yeah, actually, uh, not today, but I've been really focusing on getting beef intake. You know, not yeah. any, not even for protein reasons, just for, like, just 
get the chakras back. Right. I mean, I don't. I certainly don't want to encourage anyone, any of our Indian listeners, to uh, incriminate their. Please don't ruin my business and neighbors. Oh. Yeah. Well, they, comedy. If they have, if they have a beef with somebody, if they have beef, just say that that person has beef. You know oh, what I mean? Damn. Wait, I didn't even appreciate how good that phrase is for this Thank situation. <laughs> uh, are any of these like uh, up and coming forces in India? Are any of them actually popular enough to like threaten the government? Or well, I mean, uh, historically, it's a huge country. It's a huge country. Historically, the south of India has been very left leaning. Uh, they've had a communist leadership for a good long time. Um, there was some political ramifications over a death of a very popular politician down there. Um, but who knows? Uh, you know, Modi is very, very well respected and popular in the country. But that only revolves around his ability to provide um, for his uh, supporters, right? So if the economy collapses or if there is uh, more violence, who knows how long that will last? Um, the inequality in India, too, is to such an extent that you can't even imagine. It, if you only lived in the United States. Uh, I visited uh, Delhi when I was a kid. My mom took my family to India. They were doing some like doctor's trip or something. And we stayed with her friend who also worked in medicine and lived in a skyscraper. And you'd look out the window like they had a porch. And there's literally a shanty village at the base of the skyscraper. Well, I mean, to give it context, like... You know, when I came to America and I lived in New York and how beautiful it was and how great it was, and then you go a couple hours into, you know, up north into upstate New York or somewhere else and you see the same thing. It's just uh, less visible, you would say. It's not the same level as, you know, people are surviving on 50 cents a day, but... It's not the, literally a shanty town, you know, but, but it's... in the context, you know, there's meth labs and, and uh, 80 to 70 percent uh, unemployment. And, you know, I traveled to Ithaca last uh, October and leaving there's there's like a cluster of suburbs and stuff right outside the city. Right. It's where everything just looks like a little spread out, but still pretty rich and suburb and uh, urban area. And then after you get to a certain cutoff point, it is literally farmland until you hit towns. And it's like you're in rural Midwest already. <laughs> just X number of miles outside of the city. There's barns. There's Amish dating websites up and thriving. You can all see this from the Amish car. dating yeah. website. Yeah, you can see that. Well, you a, can that's see. a true sign of poverty. You both. can. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that for like ordinary people who fetishize the Amish? Yes, and the tragic part about the Amish dating websites is they cannot use the internet, so they don't even right. see <laughs> your, your desire for them. Wrong me. You just have to uh, communicate through. You know, <laughs> this is this is really good. Good point of uh, to bring up something like the TPP, for example, because we're talking about poverty in rural America right. or America as a whole, and also uh, we're talking about the craziness of uh, the Pacific area. So TPP is the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership, if you know people don't know about it, and it is very much similar to what NAFTA was, which is the North American uh, Trade Agreement. Um, what what the TPP is about is allowing better access. Uh, to markets from with understanding between all the different partners to allow for easier access for markets, capital, labor. So uh, things like factories can move to other places that are cheaper while allowing less tariffs or whatever to be brought into America where it can be sold. Uh, vice versa with materials or with goods. Um, basically it would have been disasters for American labor. 
is pretty clutch where you got out of that one, right? Because I thought for sure that was going through no matter what happened. That's the funny thing. It was going to go... Everybody thought it was going to go through no matter what happened. If Obama was in there longer, it would have gone through. It would have gone through. If it was Hillary, it would have gone through. But it would have been disastrous. It would have... It probably would have... They probably would have changed it to something else. That's probably what they if will Hillary, do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now. Left just prediction stamp. Any yeah. any other it would have changed the name. Any other Republican that got through would have like had something mm-hmm. else with something maybe. Well, I'm saying name. if Hillary got, she would call it like affirmative. Um, the diversity like the coalition yeah. for business. Right. <laughs> but it would have been disastrous for everybody. It would have mm-hmm. been disastrous for American labor or jobs in America. It would have been disastrous for the people who live there who have barely gotten a medicorum of uh, what do you call uh, labor protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is we're talking about the cup just a couple of years ago. We had fires in Bangladesh that killed 200, 300 people in the sweatshops, which make our clothes. And we've forgotten about that because we've been talking about war. We've been talking about all the different domestic problems we've had here. But uh, abuses in labor still happen. And those would have gotten worse. Um, the TPP really highlights just the futility of democracy when you do not control the business sector at all, because it's been a, like, we've known about the TPP for like five years at least, like the popular public in America, and it's been wildly unpopular for years, and that had no say in it trudging on through, up through the 2016 election, where just like... Donnie Showbiz gets in charge and just shoots it in the face to make a bunch of farmers happy. Right. I mean, it was I, a, it was a big part of Obama's foreign policy. Also, when when I say foreign policy, it means like literally supporting certain leaders in certain countries because those leaders were happy to pass through this TPP legislation. Um, like that that's a very big part of foreign policy. Like South Korea, for example, which just had that huge problem uh, with the president being ousted. Uh, mm-hmm. Because of her connections with both businesses and the crazy, uh, which I'm sure they'll, their their government will be fixed now. Uh, probably not. <laughs> oh, um, well. So you know, uh, this this person was literally taking advice from a crazy um, cultist or something of the sort. Moonies, huh? Moonies. Probably. I don't know if they were Moonies, but something of the sort. And Sick. also using her business connections to pass through legislation and give graphs. Nice. So she she's getting ousted at the mo- current moment. But like you know, people were in power or people were getting support from the United States for supporting certain policies that the United States wanted to push through. Have you ever seen a, uh, the videos of the labor crackdowns in South Korea? Because they are intense. It's uh, it's like full-on Tekken-style vid- videos just on a factory floor. Like, the police come down from a helicopter with giant shields and just, like, start punching people in the face. It's, wow. it's insane. Well, I mean, South Korea was a dictatorship until the 1970s, you know, 1970s, late 70s. So, and fully supported by the United States. Uh, labor rights were heavily crushed in order for South Korea to grow as a power. Um, and what we see now, this liberalization of South Korea only happened in the 90s. I, I know so little about Korea. I did the bare minimum of I went to this meeting with a bunch of tankies after I went to the Flood Wall Street protest because I was like, oh, I want to get more involved with left leaning stuff. And it was like hardline dogmatic communists. <laughs> and uh, they were very upfront about how much they supported North Korea. And I was like, I don't know about they, this. They offered yeah. you some juice. Yeah. Juice. Juche, uh, they they were uh, there was I remember this one part at the meeting the the guy who led it actually sounded very intelligent it was really kind of charming and so he uh, he would talk and he'd be like all right maybe they have some good points 
and uh this really funny awkward moment we had uh he had these chants he would do like communist chants like uh we need to get the military to come back on the capitalist oppressors in America and turn the guns around. And then there was this pause in the meeting, and he was like, okay, now we're going to tat in a circle. Turn the chairs around. <laughs> right, guys? Turn the chair. That's funny. <laughs> it was just so, it was like the office. It was delightfully uh, awkward. Did they have their <laughs> meetings in tanks ever? No, they didn't quite have the funding for tanks. It was, like, a total of 13 people, and only, like, four of them were, like, socially aware uh, young adults. Yeah. Well, speaking of tanks, this might have been a helicopter, but I think in South Korea, uh, Sai, right, the guy who did Gung- Gangnam, Gangnam Style? Style? Mr. Gangnam Style right. is his name. That he got he got in trouble for... Please use his <laughs> People were mad at him, some, some uh, patriots... Red-blooded Americans were angry at him for, I think, criticizing the uh, military right. presence in Korea. Yeah, right before before he became Sir Gangnam Style. Yeah, uh, I think he had a different. <laughs> I forgot he was knighted. D- different uh, different style, I think, and he used to rap <laughs> tank style. Yeah, well, it was on a. T- was, he made a video on a tank or a helicopter. A golden tank rapping. Oh yeah, yeah he I went to Tufts University too. Like he spends time in America. Yeah. <laughs> So he was, yeah, he was protesting against America's uh, presence in in South South Korea with his raps, with his very yeah, very sick beats. That's <laughs> another thing I feel like we don't think about is like we, I mean, how it's kind of weird to have if like their South Korea had a base, just like in Bushwick, you know, mm-hmm. like that's a weird presence to have, even if they're not, you know, committing acts of violence a real against freaky your community. Friday it's situation. just like weird, and that's you know an alienating. But also, that would also be like if we were on the verge of war with Canada at all times and Korea was propping us up. We're not? No. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the the history of the L.A. riots, Koreans technically went to war with Mm. Americans, you know. That's... What? The what? Uh, <laughs> the the whole during that time period there was the the term uh, I don't know if it's commonly used but uh, what is it called uh, roof Koreans roof but, Koreans or like Koreans would stand uh, sit on their roofs of their businesses with guns and rifles to protect their businesses during the during LA the, riots yeah. oh yeah that's what one of my favorite <laughs> one I one of the most interesting songs as a honky to listen to is yeah. Black Korea by NWA. Mm-hmm. Because it's about like hating Koreans mm-hmm. from the perspective of like a black person living in Los Angeles during the riots, and it's like I don't know, like I get that's ra- hey that's racist, but it's like well wait a second as a honky yeah what am I you know problematic I get to step back and just listen in that scenario roof Korean uh, sounds like a cool name Koreans would come up with to call themselves roof, DJ roof Korean <laughs> or uh you know something about dogs you know. Those are Ooh. dogs in Korea, are roof Koreans. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's back to trade policy. <laughs> I uh, that it, it does kind of occur to me that um, the unpopularity of TPP was, and this is I th- something I think people speaking of the bubble, people co- coastal people, I think in mm-hmm. Washington D.C., New York City. Oh yeah, don't understand how deeply unpopular. 
these trade policies really are, you know, because they're looking at the numbers for the like the economics of this and businesses are going to make a profit from these deals. That's the whole yeah, reason yeah, they're yeah. put together. So they're like, obviously for the economy, it's good for all of us. Right. If Walmart has bases with slaves. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I guess I, my, my only point is it's so strong that people, it was strong enough that people would vote for Donald Trump because they hated TPP so much that they were willing to like accept. Well, just not that, for example, Obamacare, however, however amazing it has been to be able to have health care, um, you know, in in this terrible, terrible situation, uh, it was negotiated under the table behind closed doors without input from the public. Right? It could have been better. Obama was riding on the coattails of popular support. He could have used the bully pulpit for whatever purposes. Even made some sort of single payer system possible in the future. But he didn't. Rather, he chose to do specifically which was in the best benefit of the insurance companies. At the point of coming into a presidency, certain things aren't possible, uh, such as trade policy or even domestic policy. They the are form. not possible. They aren't possible in the in the forms of like uh, healthcare, for example. The businesses are too strong, or the entrenched. Um, are you, so, are you saying the influence of a new regime is too weak at the start to no, affect these things? The the structures as it is 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 too strong for any change to happen. So, like, TPP was a crazy, crazy event, but anything like TPP will still happen, I, I believe. It just wouldn't be as comprehensive or as clearly stated as TPP under, under uh, you know, Trump. Uh, Trump's, you know, Muslim ban, for example, isn't necessarily something that came out of the blue. It is just the evolution of what already existed. Um, Trump's, whatever he brings about for his health care policy is very much the same thing that existed before. It's just going to be renamed differently. Uh, that's because however bombastic and and loud he is, the, the structures that exist already have a direction that they wish to go. And I think this is the same for foreign policy. Uh, you know, when he, came, when he was running, he was speaking about anti-war. He was talking about how Iraq was a debacle, how he do, he's an anti-war president, or he, he, you know, he'll keep America safe. But at the end of the day, now he's going in, he's talking about drone bombing is in Yemen and arming the Kurds in Syria and like this and that. And it's the same thing all over again. Right. He just doesn't have the good speeches to follow up. Right. So it's the same news events with shitty PR coverage at the end. So uh, do you think, uh, I guess just asking Sid here, but with the trend uh, towards the American military establishment throughout the 2000s and like back to the 80s of uh, pushing towards Iran for whatever reason um, more and more pressure in that area you know um, the original invasion of Iraq like, kind of I've heard uh, could be argued was kind of like supposed to be a segue into pushing towards Iran and kind of crushing power over there for whatever reason do you think that's going to come back into play soon who knows what's going to come to play with uh, the make a prediction um, well we're, we're trying to scale back the we're trying to bring back the sanctions uh, which under Obama was going to be lifted. Um, we are going head-to-head with Iran with regards to Syria um, uh, over and over again. So, yeah, possibly the relationships with that country is only going to get worse. And the Iranian students, all the Iranian people who were trying to come back here who had legal papers to were one of the most heavily affected. So That's right. I'll take it. That's a prediction. Left chest prediction stamp. Left, just, prediction, stamp. 
I need a fucking board with sound effects, man. My hands are so... They're, we'll they're dying to make sounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the, uh, w- the foreign policy establishment, how much of a threat uh, do you think they take Trump as? Uh, are, do you think some of them have been kind of um, eased a little bit into accepting that he's going to go along with what they want? He's just going to be, again, clumsy at it? Well, strangely, the older guard was coming back, right? John Bolton, if you guys know him, right. was like brought back from the the cupboards or dusty wherever he was thrown away. <laughs> he was in the cupboards. <laughs> yeah, to to come back to to save America and to the U- United Nations as the ambassador to the United Nations. Um, he was the old uh, George W. Bush ambassador, and he he was grew a, his mustache back. Yep, and just for Trump, he's just a total total nut job. I gotta, I gotta check out a picture of this guy. He turns, he's got a white mustache, and he turns red very easily. Very, very and he wears glasses. He has this weird hair and this weird glasses. It's a great administration for like pale, salty Irishmen yeah. and uh, their cohorts. Like uh, the every international and uh, international incident is going to be uh, colored with the aesthetic of like a Scotsman denied his bratwurst. <laughs> everything that's the real image we want the world to have right now (laughs) that's globalization that's yeah that's the epitome of globalization to like the eu like people in scotland get to eat bratwurst (laughs) and we both look the same doing it uh speaking of the foreign policy establishment though something i wanted to to oh yeah i've seen this dude uh Yeah, he's no looker, but he's not. You know what? He's not that bad. Looking. He got a fluffy caterpillar. He looks kind of like a like a sports anchor. You, you know, know like he, a sportscaster. You know, if like he gave the, you a kiss, it'd be pretty tickly. Right now, we got John Bolton with the with the hockey game oh, I like highlights. This one. Um, so I'm gonna make st- this the picture for the SoundCloud. Sta- standing in the world is a phrase that I've heard a lot in the American political lexicon like that fucking big word there what does that mean standing in the world that's important that's something obama ran on right Re- uh, uh, like repairing america's standing in the world after bush and that's something that trump has kind of um campaigned on too is like we're not respected anymore we, we're I'm gonna bring back respect we're gonna be respected like you wouldn't believe isn't it isn't it the way we talk about empire without using the word empire because that's just that's what that sounds like yeah well the, i mean it it, it in some because ways it's it kind of gross to just use that word and throw it, uh-huh. <laughs> it makes us sound like a star wars villain yeah well according to some of the um scholars of the the political world in the united states uh they wrote this there's this um article kind of this this group written article by the American Political Scientist Association, blah, 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 about blah, blah, blah. the phrase standing in the world and um, why it's important, standing in the world. Um, and so they say, this is from a few years ago, that unlike something a nation possesses and can easily measure like wealth or military might, standing is an attribute assigned to the United States by actors beyond its borders, such as foreign leaders and peoples, international organizations, Yada yada yada. Uh, I don't so see how they, what you're saying is different from what I just said. <laughs> well, because uh, standing, this is what they go on to say that they boil it down to these two key elements that make up stand, standing: credibility and esteem. Credibility refers to the U.S. government's ability to do what it says it is going to do, 
to quote-unquote stand up for what it believes and stand against threats to its interests and ideals. Esteem refers to America's stature or what America is perceived to stand for in the hearts and minds of foreign publics and policymakers. So um, Does the- th- that is important in that uh, this is just their take on it, that um, in order to achieve foreign policy objecti- objectives, whatever they may be, we have to have good standing in the world. We have to have a clear sort of uh, vision of what we believe in, the values that we supposedly cherish, and we have to actually back that up, which uh, I think it's fair to say the U.S. has not done, right? Ba- back Backed up. up what we perceive, what we uh, tell everybody we're all about. Ideals? Yeah, liberal. No, that hasn't been backed up, but backed yeah. up in terms of just having a gun in everyone's face at the same time has been done. Well, right. I also stand, find that 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 defi- definition of standing very strange because it isn't the the U.S. as a government body isn't the only f- thing that projects U.S. power, right? It's it's businesses, mm-hmm. it's our our Hollywood movies, our culture. If if that makes what? sense, uh, you know, um, what is smart <laughs> American culture, Americana, that that we sell to the world and we shove people, shove down people's throat to the world. That 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 also affects it. Um, you know, w- w- Occupy brought about that whole notion of the ninety nine percent and whatnot in the United States, but the rest of the world has also been thinking about it in different ways in Italy, in France, in Greece, you know, in in Britain. So and then when people start thinking about what does it mean to be the the rich and the powerful, people have also started looking at the businesses, and recognizing they don't have a nation state. Or where does the standing go about in that that situation? It seems completely disassociated. Right. Which brings up up like up my point, which is: Does the poli sci apparatus in America have any function aside from creating more lanyard dicks? To make more policy <laughs> papers, right? That, that's that's another another thing too. When speaking about why Trump is so strange, he's not taking from that cadre of people. No, he just like leaves them alone. But also, they have no power, so they they're useless without a strong man to like bring them around with them. I mean, these are the people who tweeted for Hillary during her campaign. Write to us about your student debt in three emojis or less. Right? <laughs> like. like Really, they spent $40,000 on their education, and they managed to think that that was worthwhile tweeting. They took a $2 million survey and uh, figured out young people uh, are upset and like emojis, and then that was the end result. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, because, I mean, you could argue that the responsibilities of science, of always being, you know, scientifically correct and detached from politics, necessarily does not lead itself to involvement in politics. Uh Right. It's about, yeah, it's about measure, like finding out who a soccer mom who's like a quarter Italian um, and is in one specific improv bracket and divorced uh, from an Episcopalian twice, like how she's going to vote in a specific primary oh, right, 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 between right, right, right. Herman Cain and Rick Perry, you know, like right. her improv skills uh, beg her to vote for Herman Cain. Yeah. It's yeah, because it's he's, just it's total yeah, it's it's science you're applying physical science to something as diffuse and nebulous as human opinion. Such a contradiction just in the essence of what it is that it is amazing that it's a whole field 
people yeah. specialize in in our government. Right. But there, I think their argument here, and of course this is before Trump, but their argument seems to be that standing is important if we want to achieve, say, pass the TPP um, and, and get the TPP implemented because it takes other it takes cooperation between countries. So standing actually is important in and it could be important if we want to do something good one day, maybe right. down and, the line. And, and since standing is such a nebulous term and it seems to be what people project onto us, I think it's something that we as as people who are actively participating in politics to actually have an effect on foreign policy, right? Mm-hmm. So like foreign policy, meaning the reactions of other people in other places, rather than focusing on what the these whoever these people are writing about something in some paper or uh, whatever government agencies uh, dictate whatever policies. The, the, the anti-war march, for example, which we originally started talking about uh, in, in this talk, as opposed to that, we could actually physically stop it with a much better anti-war march right. um, with regards to what we've done in the past with regards to the uh, immigration ban. Right, right, right. I, w- I was talking about this at the... Uh environment meeting thing i went to like two weeks ago that was such a strong protest the protest at the airport specifically not only the uh the the uh symbolism of it of oh we're going to the airports to support you but airports are a military checkpoint actually going there and shutting Uh, them down is like an economical problem for the state uh we should have more actions like that that are actually like disturbing the society but but also what it does to foreign policy right like it, the the reactions aren't just here domestically it's also affects people abroad our solidarity with people and their troubles like that says a lot like all these uh, uh foreign citizens when they see us do these things they too are doing have their own struggles and we should be connecting with them more so rather than you know what this is like is the understandings of standing in the world are like when you uh, maybe have a hilarious new t-shirt you want to wear out of the house and your dad says you can't because it will affect your standing with the people in town. But you think, this will affect my standing with the people in town. They're going to all see me with my, you know, tacos are for lovers shirts and people are going to think I'm the real cat's pajamas and everyone's going to want to sit with me and maybe other dads won't like it. So, you know, that's pretty cool for the other kids. But according, it's two different perspectives not matching i think this was a it made a lot of sense do you guys get it do you get what i'm saying Uh, i think as long as that kid doesn't go out wearing actual cat's pajamas oh because that would be did you wear pajamas that would be really revolutionary i was just no i was about an underwear guy for quite a while i made Um, um i made a tradition on thursdays for i think the entire time i was in high school called uh pajama thursdays where i would just wear pajamas to school but also i didn't no one else did it i didn't tell anyone i was doing this so (laughs) it's just i would wear pajamas people like "Hmm, that's kind of weird and then like three years in they're like do you wear pajamas every thursday and like four more people started doing it with me but uh something actually just never caught on i actually had some buddies in high school did uh business tuesdays that sounds like the worst thing well they would bring like charts and wear ties and stuff and just like point to shit 
It made no sense. Well, that sounds kind of funny. The charts. Yeah. Props uh, are always funny. The Trump TPS reports. TPS reports. On. See, that's the funny. Like when I'm when and a lot of other people never worked in offices. Like if we want to make fun of offices, we just say TPS reports. I have no idea what that actually is. Toilet papers. Report. Is that it? Is that it? Is it about supply of the know. actual office? I have no value. Um, something I did kind of want to uh, wrap up on is, you know, we obviously started. We're talking about the anti-war movement of the 2000s and say what you will about it i think uh a big it's different if you contrast it with now where arguably i the left in in an organizing sense is in somewhat better shape i you know maybe people will disagree with that uh like how an obese person is in better shape than a super obese person. yeah exactly but i th- what i think is going to be really important over the next four years is you know just what we're talking about is being able to fuse this economic populism that's starting to grow with the um discussion surrounding race and black lives and able to able to if we're able to like take a step back a bit and also look at america's role in the world which doesn't seem to be something that's been as hot of a an issue for the grassroots in the past few years um, and I mean, a lot of people think, especially on the radical left, we don't want to focus too much on elections. I get it. I'm in agreement. They are superficial. Um, but at some point, like, I think you have to deal with the reality of, of, of who you have to work with, who's a politician, you know, if, if you believe in working with electoral politics and Elizabeth Warren right now seems to be positioning herself for a run at the White House. And to her credit, she's, of course, probably one of the best educated people just in the world about these specific consumer laws, about finance and stuff. And to her credit, she's starting to talk about other things other than economics. She's, you know, talked about Black Lives Matter. She obviously was cut off. She was forbidden to, to, to finish the, the, the speech. the DeVos from, hearing. Yeah, yeah. About, well, no, at the Jeff Sessions hearing the uh Coretta Scott King, King paper but if you look at her foreign policy record she's moved on the armed services committee and she's uh which you know we'll see where where she goes with it but um she's on foreign policy has been very hawkish the way she talks about Iran with Israel she that's one issue uh where she is not progressive at all at least so far but i but i'm not willing to say as some people I'm sure already have, like we can't work with that. Like fuck it, don't if you're gonna stand with imperialism, no way, Jose. Um, but this is can so she be man. moved? But she can be. Uh, but my my point is, I think uh, the job of um, the socialist left, which is now growing and, and getting uh, attention to all these economic issues, is to start to say to these politicians who have those interests at heart and are willing to like try to achieve things for the progressive left to say to them, like, if you want our help, you want our grassroots backing, you're going to have to change your position on Israel. You're going to have to change your position. You're going to at least have to show us you, we, we can work together on these things. For something that's not even happening for four years. I but I think it needs to, I think it needs to start now. Elizabeth Warren I really now. think I know, but I well, not necessarily. Well, it's not about backing her. It's about creating a political environment 
where if she's going to ride this wave of economic um, economic populism, she also has to start, start talking about foreign policy, her or somebody else. If you are going to get the support of a social democratic movement in the United States, you have to be speaking out against imperialism. Maybe you don't use that word, but you have to be advocating policies that are going to move away from this mindset that has been so destructive to so many lives. But the kind of rhetoric Trump was throwing out throughout his primary and his campaign about uh, anti-imperialism and keeping America out of wars they don't need to be in, you know, at the same time while supporting all those things uh, in a masterful way. But uh, all those people are going to be very disappointed with him by the time the next election comes around, unless there's a huge event of some kind, which, you know, that's always on the table. But, like, why... I, w- I would be happy to push Elizabeth Warren if Elizabeth Warren's going to be the person, but I'm not excited to back Elizabeth Warren or anybody who is not promising massive changes left as soon as possible. People people have been saying regarding the current situation with Trump as being very dire, and it is, right? Dire for immigrants in this country, dire for uh, LGBTQ people, uh, dire for minority groups, Um to the point that whatever actions we take are going to be have to be very drastic actions. Um, you know, it's not just radical left who are saying this; even liberals are saying this. Uh, to the point that liberals are willing to go out to street demonstrations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, then when you mentioned uh, Israel and Palestine, for example, this might be the end for Palestine as a, a functioning state or a functioning power. There is nobody in in the United States government who are supporting any sort of two-state solution or properly pushing for a two-state solution. There's nobody watching uh, Bibi and uh, Netanyahu, sorry, Netanyahu and the Israeli government. On a first-name basis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, with regards to what they're doing, um, they just went on a bombing spree. There's been no condemnation or no statement from the White House. Um, there is, uh, m- you know, the, the situation, the dire situation that we are talking about has been going on in the rest of the world. Right. Is this situation that different from when Obama was in office in, I think, 2014? When right, they were because during that Pakistan? time, Obama still believed in some sort of nego- negotiated peace. Right? Oh, fuck, I said Pakistan. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> but back then, there was this God. notion that there could be a negotiated peace. But we're, we're talking about places like Syria. We're talking about places like uh, uh, Israel and Palestine. Uh, Yemen, things aren't going great for those people and those people are still fighting and we're talking about things aren't going great for us. We should be thinking about drastic measures that really, really hammer in the point about what politics means. Right. Well, I guess I guess my point to the topic that Andrew's brought up is I'm just I'm just done focusing on elections right now. I, I, I'm very dissuaded from their whole functionality. <laughs> They suck, man. They're just—they're not interesting, and they're not that effective by by any means necessary. Right? Whether it be Elizabeth Warren or you know uh, strikes or general strikes, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. Vanguards, you ready to leave the Vanguard? Nice red shirt. I'm not. Nice red shirt. But somebody. I mean, you got when, the beard when for Elizabeth it. Warren starts seeing the Internationale, and then <laughs> <laughs> possibly. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll switch it up. Uh, elections suck. This has been a fun episode. Sid, thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. You got anything you want to plug or anything you're up to? Uh, any shouts to, you know, movements or anything happening in New York? Not, not really, no. He's staying, he wants to keep it under the radar. Yeah, he's a man of mystery. Respect. All right. I like that. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Left Just Stamp.